And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our featured guest is going to teach us how to cultivate mindfulness, and we're going to do a forensic soul analysis. I know it's been a while since we did that, so Ms. Constance Dallas and Joyce Keller will be on the program this evening as well. Before we begin, I'm so excited to tell you about this, but I won the Neighborhood Halloween Costume Contest recently, and why am I telling you this? It's because I said something two weeks ago saying, only accept total victory, and I walked into this contest. I was so psyched up, and I'm like, I'm going to win this thing. It's because I had the biggest train wreck of a costume. You could not ignore this costume. And it wasn't something where, you know, I, I walk into a room and everyone's like, ah, it's so nice. No, they were like horrified and it was disturbing, but it was funny. It was a variation on the storm. You know you have a disturbing Halloween costume when people walk up to your wife and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I know a good divorce attorney. And I'm also bringing this to your attention because you have so many different ways to express yourself. I can't underscore how fun it is to be creative i'm a naturally creative person but you know we're all parts of a creative expression of the force apparently so why not do things differently why do things the same way i think if you do something different and you express a different side of you and your different talents i think it you know probably has an impact on all the people around you years ago i also won a pizza eating contest and i didn't even know i was in the competition i was just sitting down and eating two slices at a time next you know i got a round of applause and i won the contest so i don't know have fun life is short have fun be creative that's just my advice for this week but let us begin tonight's show joining us now is Teresa pushkar she is a transformational leader she's a published author performer corporate trainer minister so you better watch out inspirational speaker <laughs> she's also a motivational audio book producer over 25 years experience she's also affiliated with this terrific magazine called Conscious Community. So, first website let's promote is TeresaPushkar.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-S-A Pushkar, P-U-S-K-A-R.com and ConsciousCommunityMagazine.com. Ms. Pushkar, it's a great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for being on the program today. So looking forward to it, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so again, first thing you are is a minister. What type of minister are you and do people confess their sins to you on a regular basis? <laughs> It's not that fun. No. <laughs> no. No, actually, I'm a non-denominational minister. So I do a lot of funerals and memorial services and baptisms and weddings. And it's often actually families where you've got some that are Christian, some that are maybe atheist, kind of a culmination. And I seem to get groups where they're kind of going, we want a kind of a smattering of everything and nothing. So that's what I tend to do. And I have a lot of fun doing it. But kind of non-traditional. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, it's said non-denominational. So does that? I'm just curious. Would that? Do you follow any protocol? Does that just? What does that mean to be non-denominational minister? Well, I was brought up as a Catholic, 
Um, but this is actually kind of spirituality as a whole, as opposed to just one spirituality. So I actually, it was wonderful being a producer at Nightingale Conant because I got to work with experts in all of the various traditions and religions. And what I got from them all was that the core truth was all the same. So we studied the Kabbalah, we studied Buddhism, we studied Catholicism. And so from that, what I've created is work as a minister where we're honoring all and none. So I've studied shamanic work, and it's, I love doing the earth honoring ceremonies where we're bringing that energy in. Uh, if people are of spiritual nature, for example, I did one baptism, and they wanted someone, some of the grandparents were Catholic and others were not. So I brought in some holy water from Lourdes that I had, and I kind of I steered in the direction of honoring all and uh, kind of keeping it very general. Okay. As somebody who is working with all different types religions, belief patterns, is there any particular religion or belief pattern that mm -hmm. has a higher resonance to it? Is it about the intention behind what a person will put into that particular religion or belief pattern that is the totality of its strength in terms of its effectiveness, what it's meant to do? I love that question, Ryan. So in my opinion, it's a matter of where your intention lies. So for example, for me, I was brought up Catholic, and then years ago I went to Ireland with my mom on a trip. And they have all the pagan Christians there, and the pagan traditions mixed with that. And then they had all these writers, and I'm going, oh my God, I'm home, I'm home. So for me, uh, I, when I was a little girl in Canada, I spent hours at the cottage in northern Ontario and fell in love. And that's where I found my divine was through nature. So fast forward many years and some pretty incredible experiences with car crashes and dreams of serpents and stuff, I ended up studying shamanism with Alberto Vialdo. And so for me, it's finding it everywhere. So I, for example, as masters, I pray to Christ and Buddha and Kuan Yin and Mother Earth, Pachamama, some teachers from India. So I'm very eclectic in nature, and so is the magazine, as a matter of fact. It really honors all traditions as well. Oh, that's that's awesome. Look at you. I mean, you're like friends across all different types of astral planes, spiritual planes, because I don't have that. I only have a core group of people. I think that, you know, <laughs> it's awesome you can be friends with anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm a mishmash of many things. That's cool. I mean, <laughs> look at this. I mean, you're probably one of those people that are destined on Earth to, you know, bring peace. And not just peace on Earth, but, you know, we have to make sure all the different dimensional beings are all in alignment. And I, I think it's pretty cool. And it's really um, interesting is that you go to your website, TeresaPushka.com. You see mm -hmm. that you know you do TV speaking, motivational speaking, and then you've got two testimonials from Marion Williamson and Joe Vitale, two people who are considered highly yes. respected. So that's awesome. They're like, well, she's wonderful. So, well, and I also saw on your site that you guys worked with Robert Kiyosaki, who I actually worked with him as well many moons ago at Nightingale, and I was actually ready to walk off the job and just follow Robert. He was so inspiring as follows yeah. his whole his whole perspective on abundance. You know, sometimes you're rich and sometimes you got nothing and you just keep moving on. So, yes, I've been very graced to have been inspired and exposed to so many traditions and so many wonderful authors, and I just, my life has been a blast. Awesome. Well, what <laughs> three authors have challenged you personally? And also, in the same token, being challenged, have any of those authors kind of, you know, made you upset or provoked anger in you because they were pressing so hard and challenging you so hard to, to look at a belief pattern you've long held and respected and loved? Wow, that's, a, you know, your questions are awesome, Ryan. Uh, for me, 
they're, they've been, I guess I, I'm very open. So I've come from a place of, if I'm triggered, I know there's something in me that I'm not looking at. Some of the authors tended to walk their talk more than others. And so the valuable lesson I learned through that, and I've had channels, et cetera, that I worked with as well, who reiterated that some were meant karmically to do this big work and get communication out there to heal the masses, but it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're walking that talk. And what I learned years ago, I assumed that every spiritual person who was enlightened had done all of their emotional work, that they couldn't have spiritual enlightenment unless they did all their emotional cleaning. And I discovered through the work I've done that some of them have not done a lot of the emotional work, but they still have had those enlightenments and those awakening experiences. And so I learned that they were very separate. And for me, I love working, of course, with those that have done their emotional work and the spiritual, but it's not exclusive. And I, I think too, what I learned was that they're messengers and the messenger, you can't shoot the messenger. So I didn't get to back, back to your question, though. Um, I think a lot of them pushed me. Dr. David Hawkins is one of my favorites. Marianne Williamson, she actually, she's running for president, I just found out recently. But she's one of the people, it was easy as a producer because she literally, you'd ask her a question, no ums, no ahs. She was channeling stuff. She just would go on forever and was easy, easy to produce. But she was authentic. And she called me on her stuff. She said, Teresa, I said to her, one of the questions, I had a little daughter at three years old, and I said, Marianne, what did you do? How did you balance your book tour, your speaking with being a single mother? And she looked at me and said, Teresa, don't kid yourself. She said, I failed. Give yourself more time to be at the playground with your daughter and bored and at the schoolyard, at the, at the beach. Give yourself that time because you'll never have it back. And a couple weeks later, I gave my notice in at Nightingale Conant, and I continued to work some freelance, but I heeded that info. But that took a lot of courage for her to expose her stuff and put it out there. So great respect for her. And then Dr. Hawkins was incredible because he was someone that I do believe was enlightened, and he had one foot on this side and one foot on the other side. And so for him, it was bringing him back down again. He was kind of an earthly eccentric. I remember one of our recordings he needed a toothpick after lunch and I had a plastic one and I handed him a plastic toothpick and he looked at his wife and went, Oh my God, look at this, honey. It's plastic. We can keep reusing it. He's all excited <laughs> about some of the simplest things. So yeah, yeah you know, it's I'm, been a joy. That's awesome. That's awesome. There's people challenging you. They, uh, I wonder if when you were in contact with each one of them, do you feel that each one of them was giving you a gift? Like you took away a oh. piece of their um, energy, their frequency, and that you applied it and you were kind of, let's say this, you were refining your own fair code, shall we say? You're, you're adding another ingredient to the mix, getting it stronger, you know, seeing what works. Yes, thank you. I think there was that with each of them. And I felt so great. I used to be an actress and I am again. And I said, okay, universe, I will leave this career, but here's what I want. And I kind of did the declaration. I want it spiritual. I want it using my creative skills and my writing skills. And then I'll save the long story, but I ended up working at Nightingale as director of coaching and then eventually a producer. And I got to really hone those and I enjoyed it as much as I did the acting. And selfishly, I'm sitting in the studio with these incredible spiritual authors who I used to read all their books when I was in college and stuff. And I got to ask questions. 
That's so the I best, say, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I got it. In light of the of the listeners, this is what I want to know, but it's also very selfish going, Teresa wants to know for Teresa. <laughs> of course, knowing that it's going to affect the listeners as well, but I'm sure you're, you're, you're right you're there, too. If you're filling your own curiosity, I'm sure it's going to affect it. And you probably didn't know about this because I'm, I'm also an actor as well, and I got an Oscar last year. I got an Oscar for pretending to be a human being. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> pretend to be normal but um, oh that's but it, very good when it comes to <laughs> spiritual experience i know some people say okay well you know i'm on the spiritual journey i'm having the spiritual experience so i'm really trying to define what is a spiritual experience if you have an experience in the physical body and mm-hmm. you feel a tremendous amount of love i wonder is it a result of a chemical reaction that is going on within your brain, within your body. I talked to a friend of mine, she's a doctor, and she mm-hmm. says a lot of our feelings are tied to the health of our gut, how we process and digest food. It has mm-hmm. a lot of effects. So I always wonder, are you feeling good because you're having a body high? Are you feeling good because you're having an emotional experience where you feel elated emotionally and you are presenting that as a spiritual experience like what is an authentic spiritual experience from your perspective from my perspective it goes to you know what came first the chicken or the egg and it's all the same package so it's interesting the whole gut thing because i am working with the healer right now and he says a lot of disease starts with imbalance of the gut hashimoto's etc so i'm right there but i believe that as Okay, so I set an intention a couple years ago to start experiencing more joy and more laughter in my life. And so I have a mantra now, which is just yes. And every night at four in the morning, I wake up and for years I was like, dang it all, I want to get back to sleep. Now I wake up at four and go, yes, 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 and take some deep breaths and feel the joy. So the setting of the intention of the joy, but I believe that intention and living from that place affects the gut, affects the body and balances it all. Likely, in the same respect, balancing the body, I've just started juicing, which I should have done long ago, and all of that can raise the vibration of my body as well. So I think sometimes some of us are also in a place where we're in a spiritual, wonderful place, but our body's not caught up, and vice versa. And so it's a matter of setting the intention, I think, for both. Okay, so... When you're doing these and you're you're saying that you want to have more joy, mm-hmm. is that a way of kind of training your human, training your body to experience the joy? Because again, when it comes down to the spiritual experience, if you are spirit, if you are infinite, and you are you know currently having the illusion of coupling yourself with the human body to experience life in the physical body, yet you always are spirit, always are internal, always are joy. I wonder. What is the again? What is the real difference between having the, the authentic spiritual experience? I mean, if you, how how much higher can you possibly be than understanding or remembering the fact that you are pure spirit? Is spiritual experience an act of remembering? Is spiritual experience an act of you know remembering where you came from, remembering that you are infinite, remembering that you have been here many times before, or is spiritual experience an act of maybe you know? coming up with an incredible amount of strength to deal with a situation that is completely horrible within the physical body. So I just didn't know if you can elaborate on that. Mm, mm, yeah. Well, for me, I think it's both. I, I did, I was, as I said, I'm a reviewer for Conscious Community Magazine. I do the All About Town monthly column and I 
visit various consciousness raising events throughout the Midwest, and then I write about them. And one of them, uh, I went to see somebody, and he said to me, he was a healer, he said, your, your crown chakra is a mess. Your chakras are totally out of whack. And he goes, you don't actually even have the faith. And this is after years of doing the spiritual seeking. And I was like, oh, my God, he's right. And he said, you need to silence yourself. You need to go to, go to Vipassana meditation and do their 10-day silence retreat. So I went to Vipassana a couple months later and did 12 hours of meditation a day wow. uh, in silence for 10 days. And so you start getting in touch with the body. <laughs> this is probably too much information, but I can No, please don't. Both. We love it. We love it. <laughs> Give us the information. We're hungry. Well, I was going through menopause, so all of oh. a sudden these hot flashes. So I'd be sitting there, and you're supposed to be at times absolutely still, and you'd feel these sweat beads dripping down your nose going, I can't move. I can't move. Okay, I'm supposed to be at peace and just experience and be in the moment. And there was a real push-pull. But, you know, you hear about enlightened beings, and I'm nowhere near that, like Eckhart Tolle, who says, when you go into the pain and you fully experience this without any um, pushing back or resistance, there's ecstasy in the pain. So I've actually, and with the work I'm doing right now in my own healing experience, there's a lot of pain. The healer's doing a lot of pressure points a lot of very physical stuff. And basically, if the body starts to have disease in the body, things start to tighten and atrophy, then you have to work on loosening. And sometimes there's pain in that. And so from that, I'm sitting there going, okay, sit in the pain. Go into the pain. What's the pain trying to tell me? What's the color of the pain? Where is it going? And emotions that arise. Now, years ago, with all my years of therapy, psychotherapy and everything else, I used to kind of analyze, why am I feeling this? What is this coming from? Now for me, it's a matter of, oh, tears are coming. I'm just going to let them come and, and, and let them kind of move through me. So I think spirituality is, you know, setting the intention for the joy and feeling it so much. And I've asked myself too, as far as attachment, Ryan. So for me, it's kind of like, I love, love, love theater. I love anything creative, music, especially dance music just shifts my energy way up there. And there's a part of me going, okay, so what if there was a world without music or color that you love or art? Are you attached to these things? Do you need them to experience joy? And therefore then are you not experiencing your spiritual self? You know, the spiritual self is silent is beyond all of these earthly things. But then I'm thinking this could be a game the ego's playing as far as, oh, don't become attached to them. And another part of me is saying, oh, to hell with it. I love it. It's part of life. It came from the divine, and, and let's know, move with it. I was just going about to ask you that because some they say, oh, you know, try to disattach yourself from all things. Well, like, well, what's the point of coming into the body if you're not going to experience mm -hmm. all the joys of the body? Mm -hmm. You know, some, you mm -hmm. know, if you, and I just want to bring some of your attention, Ms. Pushkar, is that I've gone on sites and read authors that say, well, you know, there's a metaphysical reason behind everything. So you have a headache, mm -hmm. there's a metaphysical reason behind it. You, you know, you've got a, you've got a boo-boo on your knee, there's a metaphysical cause behind it. And mm -hmm. I wonder, is there always a metaphysical or deeper spiritual reason for things <laughs> happening? Because I'll give you an example. Every New Year's Eve, I tend to have a few beers or more mm -hmm. or more than that. And then I wake up New Year's Day, start the year off with a nice mm -hmm. hangover. And I'm like, well, look, obviously, there's no metaphysical reason for this. Because I, what I do is I drink a few beers and my body is dealing with the reaction to having more beers. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering. Do you think that there's always a metaphysical reason behind 
the pain and suffering or even the joy that we're experiencing within our bodies? I think there can be, but I think we can get so caught up in that. Okay. And I, so for me, it's a matter of living. That's why I say I used to psychoanalyze things to death, and now it's like, oh, tears are coming. I'm just going to be present with the tears. And I think it can be the ego, especially when you're a spiritual seeker, the ego gets really manipulative and really smart. Really? So you can beat that. Oh, gosh. What, is it, what does it do? How can we be on the lookout for our egos? Oh, my gosh. I'm constantly, even before our meeting, I'm thinking ego, heal, heal. You know, and it's like, let me serve. When I do my one-woman show, it's a matter of, or writing the article, how may I serve? And that's not because I'm altruistic. It's because I'm very selfish. And I'm thinking, okay, Teresa, get out of yourself. Get out of your big, huge ego and focus on how may I serve. And I, I, I had a very powerful experience. I saw, went to Eckhart Tolle at Huntington Beach a couple of years ago. Marianne Williamson was there. And I've already worked with Marianne quite a bit in studio. So I really wanted to see Eckhart. It was on my bucket list. But Marianne had a message. And I was just getting ready to leave corporate America, do my own thing. And her message was, Get out of your ego and ask the divine, how may I serve? So I was writing my one-woman show a month or so later. I'm sitting at a cafe, and I think I'm so big on my ego right now and how I'm serving myself. And I said, okay, divine, let's meditate on how may I serve. And I'm very nervous to share this, Ryan, but uh, as I sat in the meditation, there was a politician who appeared who I struggle with. <clears throat> And in front of the politician came Christ. And he stood in front of the politician and he looked deep in his eyes and he said, I see you and I love you. And the politician went, oh, well, I've done this. I'm so good at that. I'm a winner. And Christ said, stop. Stop. And he looked deep into his eyes and he said, I see you. I see you and I love you. And the politician's armor the ego that he built up throughout his lifetime started to fall away and he became a little boy. And I got out of that meditation and I thought, I don't want to keep fighting against what I don't believe in or don't respect. I've got to start praying. And so I see this politician now when I do my blessings and I blast him with loads of love and I see his consciousness raising. And I've been afraid. I wrote about it in a magazine a couple months ago. I was terrified to put it in there. And I didn't name names, but we all know. Yeah. And from that perspective, it's like if I keep fighting and getting angry and fighting against, I'm perpetuating the hatred from which it originated. I am prejudiced against the prejudiced individual. I'm really right? glad. I'm, see, I'm so glad you said that. Because that is actually something where I've, I've dealt with on this show. I've openly talked about it. Dealing mm -hmm. with the forces of evil. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging the forces of evil. Uh, resisting the forces of evil. But mm -hmm. I mean, you, you really said it clearly. So, you know, I guess maybe we shouldn't give the forces of evil our best. Because maybe we're, maybe we're strengthening them. Maybe that's what maybe that's yeah. why the evil is thriving on it. Yeah, and I was years ago. I traveled a lot on my own. And I went to Dachau. And I went to some of the concentration camps. And I got a real sense of, I, I have a Hitler in me. I have all of those terrorists in me. And the more I separate and put myself above them, the more dangerous I get. So I saw the potential in me, and I had no doubt in past lives. I have hurt others. I have perhaps been a terrorist or a murderer or a killer. What? And from that perspective, it's a matter of, 
And I'm not saying to people to, to lay down blindly. If you feel motivated to move and, and to, to support change, absolutely. But while doing it, be in a place of I am going to commit to the greatest peace I can in me and send loving energy out there to those who are my greatest teachers and those that I find the hardest to love. Well, so much pushkov, but coming back to the past lives, because I, I feel that there are some people who have that as a chain, who have that as a, they're, they're always mm. making, supposedly making penance for what they've done in a past life. And I don't know about you, but I can only say I'm only responsible for the actions that I'm consciously aware of that I've done in this particular lifetime. And yeah. if I return as spirit or have this, or this idea turns out to be true, that we are points of attraction of infinite consciousness, which is one being, then we've done the most evil acts, we've done the most beautiful acts. And mm-hmm. at the same time, why should we put ourselves through penance and feel personally responsible for things that other points of attraction within our totality of our consciousness have done when we ourselves are only responsible for being the point of attraction for which we have our much guided consciousness currently focused on? So I just I mean, with that being said, I just want to know if you think that we should beat ourselves up and give ourselves a hard Mm-mm. time because of what we're not aware of and what we can't prove as being consciously Mm-mm. done actions in previous life incarnations or even future life incarnations. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a matter of there's a reason why I don't know what I did in past lives. And I've had some channels and, you know, at Nightingale, I was always interviewing channels and intuitives and they would say things about past lives. But they could treat you, don't, don't investigate it. Just, you just need to know uh, to help you in this life. So for me, first of all, it hit me when I was about 20 that my greatest life lesson was learning to love myself unconditionally, that we are all hardest on ourselves. We are so hard on ourselves. And so anything we do that's beating ourselves up for past life, future life, this life is not good. So for me, but I can have compassion for those that are pushing my buttons or those that I consider evil or dark and say, I am not exempt from evil. I've seen jealousy working in me. I've seen that manipulative force in me, even though it might be small. And so remembering that I have that capacity in me, but not beating myself up and not necessarily even revisiting, but just knowing that the commitment, and I believe our greatest life lessons are to love the hell out of ourselves, to to really get to the point where we unconditionally love ourselves. probably all working on and you've written a lot of great articles again websites called consciouscommunitymagazine.com and one of your articles is about igniting your intuition how Mm -hmm. do you ignite your intuition in addition to maybe meditating which i i think i don't know some people are able to do it i talked to some listeners on the show and they said i meditate you know a couple hours a day and it comes Uh easy it's challenging for me maybe some other people but how do you ignite your intuition? Well, I believe, again, intention has a lot of power. And I spent years never meditating, going, I really should. And yet intuition always managed to slip through and, and, and inform me. One of the things I had the gift of doing was working with Sonia Chotet when I was director of coaching programs at Nightingale Conant. And actually, years later, I wrote an article about her in Conscious Community Magazine as well. But I started a coaching program on intuition. And she said, play with your intuition. It's a gift. People get so heavy around it. Journal about it. Write about it. And I had experience with a premonition. It was horrible, but uh, I, I ran over a cat, but I saw it happening before it happened, so I didn't slam on my brakes and get into a crash. But anyway, um, 
she talks about playing with the intuition. And my mother was intuitive and she was terrified of it. She used to say, don't go there. You'll see evil, you'll see darkness. And so I was afraid of it when I was growing up. But since then, I've been, and when you play, and when you write or share with somebody your intuitive experience, that has it grow exponentially. So I always encourage people, number one, expect the intuition to speak. Number two, listen to it. So act on it or else it's going to say, hey, I'm not going to bother you. You don't, you don't follow this anyway. But also share it with others and write about it and it will grow and grow and grow. And then you'll be going, oh, my God, there it is again. This is so fun. And it's like a Christmas present every time you get an intuitive hit. Oh, that's really awesome. So in your experience, you said that you've done theater. You're passionate about acting. Mm-hmm. When a person is acting, when a person expresses a part of the creative soul through acting mm-hmm. do you think that that is a way that they could actually heal a piece of themselves heal a piece of their deep recesses of the subconscious by expressing it out and i'll give you an example of this where i'm leading to mm-hmm. is that if we are one conscious being and we give ourselves the illusion of having a zillion points of attraction and we experience what it's like to be a point of attraction and go through an experience. And it's not real. It's just part of a imaginary play. Does the same rule kind of apply to us if we were to act and if we were to play a certain part? Could we actually be resolving a piece of our karma, shall we say, by playing a villain and experiencing that, but it would be in a safe manner because we're not actually hurting someone. We're just expressing it or creatively expressing that force within us. Oh, I am love, love, loving your questions, Ryan. That's another thing that has been, I wrote a one-woman show, and I just performed it in New York on 42nd Street at United Solo, and I'm doing it next month in L.A., and it's about my spiritual journey. And so I'm asking myself, on, as I was on stage, if I'm reliving these moments, am I re-traumatizing or holding on to something in, oh, I'll explain that by the end of the show, I haven't really resolved everything. So just backtracking in my show, I go to India and it's based, it's a travel log. It's based on my real experience going to oneness university in India five years ago. And in the show though, I, in my meditations meet up with four fairy tale princesses who tell me how they victimized themselves and how they got out of their mess and they're whipping me into shape. So I play 14 different characters. And so for example, Rapunzel, she put herself in the tower. She got annoyed by all the voices of everybody else. Cinderella, she's a little French girl, and she's an obsessive compulsive female, and she doesn't have a stepmother who's horrible. And I, then I have old Queenie, who is a princess in the pea, and she just takes everything too personal. And then finally, I have Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And Belle is overweight and loves the hell out of herself just the way she is. And she hands me a mirror, and she says, look in this mirror and tell me what you see. And I say, I, I can't. I can't right now. And so as I play it, Every night I play it, I'm going, I'm not in that place yet. And I'm committed to getting to the place where I can fall in love with this woman I see staring back at me. Um, But as you're saying, is there a healing experience? I feel there is because of, and I've done this as a producer too in studio where I, and I can feel you do it as well. You open your stuff up for the world to hear. You expose some of your deepest and darkest. And knowing that in that, it's going to help others get in touch with their own and go, oh my God, I'm not alone. And wow, yes. And in your experiencing and exposing on stage, they do too. So I think there is healing in that. I I think you're right. And I I get lots of laughter and lots of tears in the show. But I'm also asking myself, Ryan, 
how long, Teresa, are you going to be, where are you going to get to that point when you're going to look in that mirror <laughs> in that show and, and rewrite the ending? <laughs> oh, I think it's, it's awesome. My uncle's an actor and he's been in a bunch of movies. I mean, he did a movie recently with um, John Travolta and I know that I think it takes a lot out of him when he does it, but I, I think he's just, he has so much love and passion for it. And, in the course of your, some of your other writings, what do you think have been maybe three of the biggest shifts in consciousness that you've observed in the last 10 years on Earth? Wow, that's a big question. Last 10 years. So 10 years ago, I was, okay. So I think, okay, this is a theory I have. People have been very upset about what's been going on culturally, especially in America, politically. And... I have a theory about that. So if you have a cancer, but you don't know you have the cancer, it's festering inside your body and it's breaking your system down. If you get diagnosed and you see the cancer, then you have potential to heal it. So in my opinion, the last 10 years, we've had a cancer growing in America and people are all horrified right now, but we now have an opportunity because we see this cancer to heal it. And we see, we have to, like I said before, have to see the cancer within each of us, the potential for that. How have I been out of integrity? How have I been manipulative? You know, how have I been selfish and self-serving and greedy and going within on that? So I think that's, I think the biggest shift is that we're now exposing some of that. Second shift, I think I have a 17-year-old daughter and I teach at a school. I, I teach meditation techniques and calming, and I'm directing the school show. And what I see among these youngsters is very, it's, it's twofold. It's a lot of overwhelm and anxiety, but there's a sense of hopefulness. These kids are smart, and they are like, I can't wait till I can vote. You guys are making a mess of things. And they don't tolerate intolerance. They don't tolerate prejudice. They don't tolerate misogyny. The kids are so ultra honorable and sensitive to the encompassing of all that they make me very excited about the future. So that's another massive shift. But at 17, they are so much more conscious of themselves than we were back then. So much more. And yet the weight is heavier for them. They go through a lot more. So that's another huge shift. And I think too, I think there is, even if you think about it 10 years ago, the whole world of spirituality, the whole world of psychology and self-empowerment and self-reflection. I remember when I first graduated from university, I worked at IBM and I was doing acting. And in the world of acting, we were all in therapy. We were all getting help. We were all dealing with our stuff and looking it in the face. In the world of IBM, you wouldn't dare mention that because that meant you were broken. And I think now there's a sense of, like I see the kids in the high school and they're talking about being institutionalized and they're talking about their therapist. It's a very open world. So in my opinion, the last 10 years, what's also happened is we've all opened to the fact that you're not very strange. You don't have these secrets you have to hide if you've got emotional work you're doing. In fact, you should be honored for it. That's awesome. And for everyone here who are listening, highly encourage you to see a therapist if you can because mm-hmm. having I find psychology fascinating I've had several mm-hmm. clients that are psychologists one of them today is a, one of the world's top clinical psychologists and you not everything has a metaphor I don't again coming back to I don't think not and not everything has a metaphysical deep reasoning mm-hmm. behind it it could be I mean, mental health I mean all 
Mm -hmm. All aspects of yourself are probably part of the totality of the spiritual journey. So, you know, I don't think there's any shame in reaching out to people. I actually think it's great because if you can learn something about yourself and make yourself better, you probably have a better impact on others. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. looking at the New Age movement, do Mm -hmm. you find, what is the difference, especially in that particular movement, of identifying a teacher that is authentic and identifying a teacher (laughs) That is just there to cast a check because they're 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 flashing signs and they're saying the lingo saying chakra this chakra that you're orange you're red I can see your the colors of your your energy field because I have to tell you I, I go to these conventions I do, I do go to a couple of times a year and I'm like I just don't feel it I'm like you I'm like I just feel that it's very salesy so what's the difference between authentic and salesy? Well, I think that, again, it's going to your own gut feeling and intuition. And I, I've been blessed to work with all kinds. And like I said, I've got wonderful stories that I will not share. And some of the other authors do not walk their talk, but they have spiritual lessons. One of them in particular, his book changed my sister's life. And yet most people couldn't work with him. And he really? was not, <laughs> his, pers- his personality was nowhere near his message. But I learned that, hey, the message is still out there. That's fine. He ain't where he's supposed to be. So I think we have to be very, very careful, and we have to set an intention for the highest. I think there's very dangerous when we get a lot of psychics out there who will deliver bad news. I know I had one that talked about ill health and very specific. And so that has now been planted in my mind, and it's taken a lot of work to try and deconstruct that belief that she planted. And so one has to be super careful and run the other way. If these, because there's a way that intuitive psychics channels can deliver information, say, Hey, you know, you might want to check out, see the doctor soon and, and just get a checkup without getting very specific. Because what I believe is that our lives are following a certain path, but we can also veer off the path. So it's like having a bunch of telephone wires and then they start veering off. At any point, it can shift. So a psychic or a channel, I believe, is seeing what it's been doing, where it's potentially and most likely going, but I think that can change. And so I think we have to be very reticent of who we take these readings from and then have the courage and the strength to say, my belief is this, and I know myself, my body, my psyche, and this is, I I believe, where I'm going. Not giving them too much power, unless you really... I've had some wonderful ones, really wonderful ones, too, who have just directed me in a place I needed to go at the right time. So it's, it can be such a gift. You just have to be very discerning. Uh, thank you for saying that. And I've had experiences where one time I, I had a really good idea. I thought it was a good idea. And I was like, oh, this is mm-hmm. awesome. And I got a phone call from my friend, Elisa, psychic. She's like, whatever you just thought of, don't do it. And I'm like, all right. And I just kind of moved mm-hmm. on. But she's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's so cool. So there, it is. Yeah, like that. Well, that, well, that was pretty cool. And when it comes to meeting psychics, I've actually interviewed, I'd say, close to eighty or eighty-five psychics, and wow. I noticed that there are some. When you sit down, they're trying to pump up your ego, and they're trying to tell mm. you how special you are, who you are in a past life. And I, <laughs> I would say that to be aware of that because they could say, you know. This and that, and they're, you're feeling good because they're popping up your ego, and they may not necessarily uh-huh. give you the information you need. I love talking to psychics that are, that tell me, you know, this is the hard truth. This is what you need to realize. I tend to be more uh, inclined to, to listen to that person as opposed to the person saying everything's wonderful. Well, if everything's wonderful, then it's good. But I want to know 
what's the bad stuff that's coming on. So I could be prepared for that. So I don't yeah. know. Do you ever come yeah. across the same thing? Well, I don't want to know the bad stuff, but I certainly want to be guided in, in the right way. So I know, uh, for example, yeah, if you hear people all say, yeah, well, I was this queen and that king, and I was head of this and that in the past life. And go, we all have been in this such uh, prestigious roles in past lives. So that I take with a grain of salt, but I think there's a way uh, a psychic or channel can deliver. I know one of them uh, in Arizona, I used to send even some of the spiritual authors I worked with. She was so wonderful. And she would, you know, suggest maybe you might look at this kind of um, a supplement or this kind of aromatherapy. And she goes, and things are coming up this way or that. So, um, but like you say, I mean, I've, interviewed and worked with enough of them when you have seven channels or psychics all giving you the same message you're kind of like hmm there's something going on yep. here this is and then you and i both being in positions where we get to do that and get that affirmation and you know people say to me how do you know it's true and it's to the point where you're going i don't need to convince anybody i just know i just know yeah uh, and what are some of the things that you have done to maximize your strength and uh, we're talking about spiritual strength and also do you feel that it is important to have a strong physical body because i don't know this is strange i i, I think that once i started to have started having i call it a growth spurt i more more touch with, with spiritual mm -hmm. i all i want to do is i wanted to exercise mm -hmm. a lot more i was like well this is pretty cool i never really had this going so i just didn't know mm. if that was part of it or if people should, you know, have a balance, should, should you keep your mind, spirit, and body at optimal health all the time? I think that, well, it's interesting that you said that naturally, as you grew spiritually, you wanted to keep that Oh, body yeah, and I, and I stopped smoking, in, too. Right, that was I used, impulse. I used to be, I used to be oh, a heavy wow. smoker, and I, I tried quitting, and all of a sudden, it, it, just, it just stopped. My body rejected it, and then my body also rejected meat. And I just, it's all these transitions that were happening... When I tell people about that, they're like, "Oh, was it a rough period?" I'm like, no, it just happened. Just happened naturally. It was just part of the progression. So, wow, I just, that's well. I know. What, yeah, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I was under, I have a real thing with sugar, and I stopped eating yeah. sugar. And I thought, was it again? Was it because I was pregnant that the hormones and stuff were saying no, or is it the intention that I had this little being growing in my body, and therefore, because I had no cravings for sugar through the pregnancy? So, well, that's interesting. So. I'm stepping into the interviewer role a little bit now, but so when you had those experiences where you stopped smoking that, it wasn't an effort. It suddenly just became a spontaneous impulse based on your spiritual yeah, growth. Yeah, it was actually, then? I would call that there, there was a, a trigger point, which was ayahuasca. And I've taken that medicine, mm, and that medicine, mm. it is very powerful. And the effects mm -hmm. of that medicine, I always experienced the, the, the most profound effects in the in the year, months and years following. And I noticed that there were shifts and I noticed there were changes. And I almost, I think that the acceleration of, of the show actually progressed uh, as a direct, the show actually became part, sort of manifesting because of the um, experience in ayahuasca, because of the journey. So I always feel like the, the more I, I search, the more things happen. So I'm just curious. Do you notice that for you as well? Do you notice that people who seek, who search, who grow, that the other things kind of naturally manifest that maybe they were trying to struggle with before? That's really interesting. My ex-husband and I, my husband has had conversations because he said, you're the constant spiritual seeker. You're never satisfied. And he is always satisfied. And we're kind of going, which is healthier, which is better. And yet I feel that the spiritual seeking has made my life so rich 
and so full and just such a blessing. So it's interesting that you're, and it's fascinating you bring up ayahuasca because I've never done oh, really? marijuana, anything, nothing. And yet I studied the shamanic work and I've heard about the ayahuasca and it's the one thing I've been curious about. Yet I've heard some people say, if you're on a negative path, or you got some funky stuff going on, it's going to dig you way, way down that tunnel. If you're on the positive path, it's going to exponentially really speed things up. And like you said, people have, many people have said to me that the most powerful experience they've ever had to help evolve their soul was when they had the ayahuasca. So I've been at this place of going, do I dare even ever go there? So it's interesting that you had that experience. Well, as far as the positive <laughs> and negative go, I would say that the, the six times I've mm-hmm. done it, Five of them were, were really pleasant. The sixth time was tough. Mm-hmm. But it was also the intention behind it. And it was also the teacher. Mm. It was the shaman. You have to, I think you have to have a relationship mm. with the shaman and trust that shaman because they're going to be walking you through a place. And you may not experience intense visuals or you may not go to a place where you think you're going to go. I would say just let your heart go. Mm-hmm. I was really afraid of seeing stuff. At one point I did it and I saw this whole wall of demons and I was like, I don't have, and I was like, mm. I don't have time for this. I kind of walked away, and I was like, well, that's pretty cool because I was afraid of that happening. But you know, wow! Yeah. So you faced your fear with oh, that? I don't, in know, a way? I don't know if you, I faced. Can, I don't necessarily can... think I was facing my fear. It was kind of like I was, I was in the, uh-huh. I was on the journey. It was hour five, and I was processing st- stuff. And sometimes on ayahuasca, you take it and you purge, you throw up, and I think it was mm-hmm. oh, I've heard, five yeah. hours of throwing up. And I turn around and there's this wall of demons, and I wasn't even afraid. I was like, I, I, "Am I really? Are you really seriously now?" And I was like, "And I was like, I, and I seriously <laughs> said, I'm like, I don't have time for this shit." And I walked away, and I sat down like it was nothing happening. And I thought about it. I'm like, "Well, that was pretty interesting." <laughs> so, but it may not be. It, <laughs> well, I might need you to. I might need you to hold my hand I if I be, ever tried it. Then, so in case they come up my way, you can just. Yeah. Okay, take care of them, Ryan. <laughs> I'd be happy to, but you know, that is something, all those things can open your your mind. And, and marijuana, I mean, that's something that people do. Marijuana, you know, I don't think you're necessarily, you're not going to leave the, the plane unless you have some really good stuff. No, you probably no, enjoy music no. a lot more. You'll, you'll be calling the pizza delivery more every five minutes. <laughs> but I guess whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes to get you there. <laughs> um, Absolutely. What practice do you, do you incorporate <laughs> that you feel is the best for you, that it makes you feel good inside and actually makes you accelerate your growth because you were talking about you know you talked to somebody before and they said your chakras are open i'm like oh so do you wake up and do chakra balancing do you meditate do you walk do you you say you're thankful i mean what are some of the things that you incorporate into your daily practices well i think that it's become first of all it was an effort the gratitude thing and now that's becoming just so natural but i think for me it's starting with shaking out the body, shaking out the cobwebs and just putting on music. I really love for five minutes or so and shake, 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 shake in the morning. I have not been meditating the way I used to meditate about an hour and hour and a half a day into the last year. I have not done that. Um, But it's shaking out the cobwebs. It's going to the joy place. And like, for me, it's listening to inspiring music, spiritual music, rock music that really kind of just brings a smile to my face. There's a YouTube. If you type in YouTube, inspiring music, there's a bunch of, uh, YouTube videos, of really positive message stuff that just, I'll watch people dancing in it. Like even uh, Happy, the song he, he recorded, all these people dancing spontaneously, put it together into a montage. It makes me feel joy. 
so I watch and, and it's, but there's things like being out in nature, walking in nature, or just looking at colors and going, oh my God, I love color. I'm so grateful for it. So gratitude, trying to be in the present moment as much as I can, trying to forgive myself as I blow in traffic, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to do the road rage thing. Okay, there you go, Therese. Can you love yourself here? Can you love yourself where you are right now? Can you give yourself a break? Uh, and then it's going to the place of, of joy whenever I can. And kind of, you know, I stay away from the news. I listen to NPR once a day and then I turn it off. I haven't had a television for oh. nine years because well, I was wasting time on it, right? So I got to write my seven children's books. I did my audio program. I wrote my one woman show. I got so much done because I found that having a television, I would sit in front of it and zone out for hours a day. And I went, what a waste. And the negative input. I just and now because I haven't watched it, I've become so sensitive to it. When I watch all those horrors and the crime shows, even for a couple minutes at somebody's house, I'm just like, oh, it's, I, it's I don't visual want to see death. This. You no wonder idea. why people are so deceptive. Oh, yeah, I find this it really strange in our culture, Pushcart, because we always hear about these mass shootings and there's always these horrible events, and everyone's like, you know, how could this possibly happen? How is it? Like, well, geez, mm. maybe. Every other show was about death and killing. Maybe an idea may have popped mm-hmm. into someone's head. Yeah, I you mean, think? If, there, if there were Smurfs yeah. on all day, I'm sure the culture would be a little <laughs> happier. Well, you know, when I was working with Dr. David Hawkins, and we were taught, and I believe he was enlightened. He's one of three or four I've seen that have been, I believe, absolutely enlightened. And he said to me, we were talking about the future, and this was probably seven or eight years ago. And he said the only concern he had for the future were those computer games. And he said those are used to desensitize soldiers to killing. And he said those games are dangerous when they're put in the arms of our children. And he said that was the only thing that he worried about for the future of humankind was that kind of thing. So I think and then our kids watching over and over. I mean, how many times have you seen the Twin Towers fall and how many times have we seen the horror in people's faces. One of the fathers I loved, his son was killed uh, in that theater in Denver. And he started a campaign thereafter where he said, media does not have to give the perpetrator a lot of media attention. So don't say their name. Don't show their picture. It's public record. Anybody could look it up. But these people are all wanting their 15 minutes of fame through their violence. And so he has this campaign where he said, let's focus on Let's focus on those that are victims and, and, and honoring them, and let's get our mind and our media off of the perpetrators, which I thought was oh, really great. interesting. You, know, you want to give them any more attention? Mm. I, I, I don't know where. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was this movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? And they talk about. And yes. it's a, by the way, if, you, if anyone is listening, What the Bleep Do We Know is a great film. It came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. There's this one part of the film where they talk about particle observation theory that apparently a particle does not exist unless a person is devoting their attention their focal point on it and that idea kind of mm-hmm. made me realize maybe that's why these celebrities they need all the attention that's why they need to feel alive so i guess if people are not focusing their time and energy on the death and destruction you're kind of starving the beast mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe we need mm-hmm. some maybe we need some other mm-hmm. frequencies we need happy happy stuff I know that's part mm-hmm. of it. And for me, that's what I do. Or people watching happy videos. I mean, Facebook, I will fly through and any political conversation, I don't even go there. I want to see the puppies. It's I a- want to see the videos of the little cute little babies. 
That's what I want. <laughs> Take me there, and the rest of them I'm just going to ignore. <laughs> you, know, you mentioned the word color before. Are there any colors that you'd like to incorporate into your your you know clothes or decorations or website? And also, what is your favorite color? Wow, I have so many of them. I think royal blue is my favorite right now, but they change. And I kind of believe they change based on what my body's requiring as far as the chakras and the energies. But I love vibrant color. I remember I once had a winter coat that was hot pink. And people would say, oh, my God, how can you wear that? Aren't you uncomfortable? I said, why? Well, because you, you stand out. And I went, I don't think about standing out. I'm in love with color. We had a teacher in grade five. She was the art teacher. And she had this row upon row of tissue paper. It was a rack. And it started with white and worked through all the color schemes and various yellows to greens to blues. I would sit and stare at that rack for hours and just fall in love with all those colors. So for me, it's changing and it's vibrant, but I love the jewel colors, the, you know, the reds, the blues, the emerald greens. Um, but I'm also lately drawn to corals and salmons. And I think, uh, yeah, or if I'm hiding my gut, then I definitely wear some black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to ask you. That's it's awesome. I, I, I hope that <laughs> we experience more colors. I love like, colors and intensified colors because I always think that there's other messages in there but alright this will probably mm-hmm. not come off as the smartest question but I have to answer, ask it anyway because I'm curious talking about gut feelings if people who happen to be bigger you have a larger gut mm-hmm. does that mean you're probably going to have more confusion mm-hmm. when you trust your gut feeling because there's more gut what an interesting question because there's more gut yeah. there I, I have to tell you, I've never, I've never correlated. When I have Ryan, been thinner, really I seem to be more focused. And when I expand, expand, oh. is it like after Thanksgiving or on any day of the week that happens to end in Y, I have more confusion. So I just didn't know. Oh, you're very self-aware. See, for me, other than my nine-pound, four-ounce baby, I've only been up and down about 20 pounds. I've never gotten really big or really small. I've always been within a certain range. I know I don't feel so good, but I don't know. I've not noted that my gut feelings aren't as strong. But then again, to me, that takes a certain kind of sensitivity that you have and an awareness that maybe I just don't. You know, that's really, really interesting food for fodder. Just curious. Yeah. And Miss Teresa Pushkar, (laughs) I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Bush Pushkar. Thank you, Ryan. She's a published author, performer, corporate trainer, minister, inspirational speaker, motivational audiobook producer. She's also an actress. 25 years of experience. To learn more about her, go to her website at TeresaPushkar.com. I'll spell it for you. T-H-E-R-E-S-A, Pushkar, P-U-S-K-A-R.com. And also, she's a writer for a community, Conscious Community Magazine. You can learn more about them by going to the website at ConsciousCommunityMagazine.com. Pushkar, thank you for being with us. It has been a delight, Ryan. Thank you. Joining us now is the astrophenom, Miss Constance Stellis. She is not only a phenomenal astrologer, but she's also the author of the Little Book of Self-Care series, for Aquarius, Sagittarius, Virgo, all of the major signs. You can learn more about Miss Stellis by going to her website at constantstellis.com. Miss Stellis, what is your analysis on Teresa Pushkar? Well, she has a very focused chart. There are things that she knows and loves and does extremely well, 
and the rest of the stuff doesn't interest her too much, which is is um, a plus, I think. She is a Pisces, and Pisces is a sign between Earth and Heaven. Um, they see a better world and are almost always involved with metaphysical uh, pursuits. Great deal of compassion. And then she has a Leo moon. So that is the the kind of desire to publicize, to share, to teach her knowledge. And it is right connected to the planet Uranus, which gives us lightning flashes and insight. So I imagine that really much of her writing is almost like channeling. She doesn't know from whence it comes, <laughs> but it comes. And um, she gets insights and flashes of insights that electrify her and that she can share with her readers. She's also, Pisces is kind of an old-fashioned sign in that it is the sign of faith. Old-fashioned because the age of Pisces saw the rise of Christianity a long, long time ago. But we are headed into the age of Aquarius. And she has Jupiter in Aquarius and Saturn in Aquarius, which is very forward-reaching very revolutionary, avant-garde, maybe even um, uh, radical and um, anarchic, anarchic. So her views uh, kind of run the, run the gamut. A lot of power there and um, the ability to, to share it. That's what I think. Excellent. Ms. Constance Stellas. The Astro Phenom. I want to thank you so much for your analysis. To learn more about Ms. Dallas and to get your own chart done with Ms. Dallas, please go to our website at constancedallas.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Dallas. You're very welcome. That was You're awesome. Very welcome. Thank you. Awesome. And then also, I'm gonna, we'll send out something about your books as well. So. All right. Great. Uh, Ms. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much, Constance. Talk to you soon. All right. Yeah. Bye. 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 Joining us now is Joyce Keller at Psychic Medium. TV and radio star, and she's also the author of 10 books. Several of them are bestsellers. We're about Joyce by going to her website at JoyceKeller.com. Ms. Keller, what can you tell us about Teresa? Okay, Teresa, very interesting person. She has been metaphysical for many of her past lifetimes, and she's certainly metaphysical now. And by that, I mean she's very intuitive. She deals with everything to do with the sixth sense and beyond. She's really an amazing person and very spiritual. She should have her own center, her own uh, religious or spiritual center of some kind where people can come for wisdom and knowledge because that's the purpose of her incarnation this time. She's here as a teacher, as a source of light. She's also a very good writer. I don't know if she has started writing or if she's interested in having her own center, but she certainly would be outstanding and very, very successful at doing that. She's ahead of most people who are in her vicinity and who know her. So that's what teachers do. They shed light, they bring light, they bring society from the third into the fifth and beyond dimension. So I would say to Teresa, if you become discouraged, um, high angels are working with you. You have just the, the best course in your life. You have a long life coming and it's going to be terrific. And you're a natural medium and psychic yourself. And there is a difference. The mediums are the ones who can connect with the other side. And if Teresa chooses to do that, she certainly is more than able to do it. So that's just a brief rundown on uh, Teresa, Brian. 
All right. And is there any particular past life that may pop out in your mind? Do you sense anything about any particular past life that she's here to, to work on? Yes, absolutely. Well, she has had a very um, austere, difficult religious life as a nun. I believe it was in the area of Rome. And uh, that was really too stringent. It was just too strict and didn't give her the chance to express the truth and the light that she really has had within her for many, many lifetimes. So in this particular lifetime, right now, she's here to express and to shine and maybe even television, movies, radio, all of the above, because she has uh, star quality also uh, within her. It's a metaphysical quality combined with uh, star ability and communication. So she's really on a terrific path, and I hope that she's happy. So... And is there anything that she can be doing that will increase her, her intuition? Anything that she could be doing that would advance her capability? Absolutely. Of- Absolutely. When she teaches, she is actually channeling. She's a natural channel. So she's expressing her um, mediumship that way. And what can she do? Well, of course, meditation is great for everybody. Prayer, meditation that opens up the top and higher centers, which we all need to do for greater awareness. So she knows that already, and I'm sure she's already teaching. I hope she has a center somewhere because all of that will help her to express the inner light that she has burning within her. So she's really a terrific person. Awesome. Miss Joyce Keller, psychic medium, TV and radio star, and author of 10 books. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. We learn more about. Thank you, Ryan. My pleasure. You learn more about Joyce. <laughs> And get a reading with Joyce Keller by going to her website at JoyceKeller.com. Thank you so much, Joyce. Thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure. Okay, everyone. That concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Mr. Risa Pushkar. And special thanks to Constance Dallas and Joyce Keller, our virtues. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening.